1: To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's
2: why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com.
3: Action Park Media. Please take a moment to like, subscribe, rate, review, all of the above on whatever app you're getting it from. And now for part two of my conversation with Dr. Mike Isratel on the Healthy at Every Size movement, wherein we discuss the cons. Last episode was the pros, and now it's time for the cons. I want to say that Dr. Mike brings up some stuff in this part of the conversation that I was totally shocked about, and had no idea about, and almost to the point of thinking they were hyperbolic to some degree, and within a day, I saw a video online with a person describing very earnestly much of what Dr. Mike brings up in this portion of the conversation. And... It's kind of wild and a bit of a mental maze that, that I cannot quite wrap my head around. So do with this information what
4: you will. Thank you for listening. Now we tear haze down. Let's do it. This feels so bad because we just propped it up. I know, but we. I mean, it's important. Got to trim the excesses. Yeah,
3: because there are going to be the uh, ex-Navy SEALs out there going... Fuck you, get on the scale and fucking Lussies.
4: personal responsibility. Dr. Mike and Ethan are soft. <laughs> we got to give them something. We got to give them something. Yeah. Okay, here we go. Point number one on the minuses of Hayes. They're really antithetical to the idea of shaming. Body okay. shaming, fat shaming, weight shaming. They have a good point that goes a certain distance, but it doesn't go maybe as far as they would like it to. The world is complicated. Not all things are all light sides. There are some dark sides and sometimes things that are not so great work. I'll make a first example, and then I'll tie it in. Is war bad? Yes. Was it bad that the Allies defeated the Nazis using war? It wasn't the greatest thing. I wish we could have just had a treaty that made the Nazis stop killing everyone. But it was better than the alternative, which was the Nazis just take over everything. So yes, war is bad, but sometimes it fucking works. So let's talk about shame. People on that political side, generally on the rather, I don't say to say derogatory to call it hard left, but extreme left, they think shame is wildly ineffectual and deeply, deeply, deeply problematic, uh, almost Im- immoral to apply when you are applying it to, for example, fat people. Now, you can ask them what they think about applying shame to open misogynists. Like, you see a guy in a truck at the grocery store yelling at his wife, like, you fucking slut, get in that fucking truck. And he slaps her ass, bitch. And she's clearly uncomfortable. Um, I'm inclined to shame that man. Be like, hey, watch this. You talk to your wife like that anytime except for around me, I'll fucking ghost you. You'll be gone. You'll be like, oh, shit. Now, like, you're going to tell a fat person I'm going to ghost you. You'll be gone for picking up a TV dinner. <laughs> but you just you shamed that man. I mean, imagine online talk, like imagine somebody on Twitter being like, look, bitch is right. Just fucking get him and discard him." Oh, the hard left would have a real fun time shaming the fuck. How dare you? You should be ashamed of yourself. Cancel culture, the whole thing. But hold on a sec. We're trying to shame people to reduce their behavior of misogyny ostensibly. Of course, misogyny is bad. We all agree. But I thought you guys said shaming didn't work. I thought shaming never worked to reduce behaviors. I thought shaming increased them because uh, allegedly if you shame people who are overeating, they just overeat more. But if you shame people who are misogynistic or racist or homophobic, which shaming happens all the time and I think, yeah, fucking let's shame the racists. It probably works, you know. How come it just stops working at fat people or any other sort of ostensibly oppressed or lower on the wrong groups? Really? That's kind of weird, right? So it – At the very least, Hayes has some sort of unanswered questions there. And at at the most, there's just uh, like a flagrant, open-faced contradiction. Like, how about this? Shaming in very mild terms with an openness to conversation can be effective. So for example, instead of me coming up to the misogynist and being like, you fucking talk to your wife like that again, I'll fucking blow your goddamn jaw off your face. Maybe I come up and be like, hey, man. It's none of my business, but it's kind of rough the way you're talking to your wife. And I know, like, people get annoying sometimes. We're all carrying a lot of stress. I feel you. But, like, it's just tough to see. Now, there's definitely a shame element there, but also a welcoming, openness, kind of like, hey, let's talk about this. So if someone's, like, super overfat and there's stuff in themselves, maybe their family could be like, you know, like, Harry, we're, like, a little worried about you. And, you know, I, I don't think you're on your best foot. No, do It sounds like shaming. But it's also like, like, we want to help and let's talk. So shaming in a moderated context can be good as, like, a conversation about homophobia or racism or misogyny because, like, just telling someone, like, fuck you, you racist piece of shit, like, oh, it makes you feel good to say, but is it going to convert them to anti-racism or is it just going to make them, like, fucking fold into the alt-right more and be like, I'm proud to be a racist? Like, probably the latter, which you're like, hey, man, I read what you said about, like, black people and, like, man, you know, tons of my friends are black. I'm sure you met some cool-ass black Like, it's at least not that simple. And like, I mean, just like, think about it. And that's just shameful. You're trying to shame them a little bit. Maybe there's like a one in 10 chance that we're like, what the fuck am I doing? (laughs) Like, I feel fucking bad. Like, what was I even saying? And they slowly start to come around. Maybe that same thing works with any kind of behavior. So maybe there's a tactful element of shaming that works. Now, if I say to Hayes people, maybe shaming has a context in which it's effective. Yo, I'm gonna get burned at the fucking stake. Quick, it's like no shaming is evil, but they easily do it to other people. How the fuck does that work? That's a problem.
3: Yeah, yeah. That that's a real tricky one. I, I, I'm not personally so interested in shaming anyone. Me neither. I hate it. Yeah, but I do. I can think about how I use shame with myself, mm-hmm. and and I think that there is a it's a it's a thin line because if I go over shame mm-hmm. i could collapse in totally
4: being ineffective like well i'm just a piece of shit then fuck it doesn't matter what i do yes mm-hmm.
3: and conversely but similarly if i have no shame and i'm just uh existing on every kind of base instinct also very build bad. a gun to shoot pizza at my face yeah so for me personally with regard to myself i think shame is a useful tool
4: moderated intelligent yeah.
3: middle road i imagine if you're if you're tied up in the idea of shaping society, which I'm also completely uninterested in doing. Agreed. But if you have ideas on how society should function and determinations on how you want to implement that, I think no matter what, you're using shame as a
4: tool. You may be, and it may be a very effective tool. And if you think your social goals are very important, you will use every effective tool. Right. And... Yeah, the reduction of obesity is fucking important, man. It fucking ghosts hundreds of thousands of people a year before their due time. Maybe if shame works in a contextual way, we can open up our toolbox to it. Cause just just saying nope. I mean, can you imagine that applied to homophobia? Like some guy, like at a fucking Walmart, like sees two guys holding hands. He's like, "I don't like your kind around here." And you like puff up your chest and you're like, "I'm gonna go talk to that guy." And your friend's like, he, "No, no, we don't shame people." Like, what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> he well, he's shaming those people. Yeah. Isn't that bad? So it's kind of like you know, yeah. There's times where shame would be effective, but of course, shame that has an openness to it. It's communicative. It's like um like a second grade teacher that's the first person to sit you down and say, We don't hit other people. She's not like if you ever hit someone again, I'll fuck you up. Or you know, some crazy <laughs> I'll shit like ruin that. Your life. She gives you an out. She's like, Billy, you're a good student. You're like, Yeah, we don't hit other people because that's bad. Do you understand? Tell me you're not feeling ashamed.
0: Right. I mean, it's just
4: that thought experiment. Like, oh my god, the teacher fucking hates me. But she's like, I know you're gonna be a good boy from now on. That's true, and you're like, oh, <gasps> God, there's an out. Thank God. Yes, I just want to be good. Like that is effective shaming. And it probably fucking works with, in some cases, with some people, with being overweight and eating behaviors and health behaviors and so on and so forth. And we should be open to it for some people that works. You brought up earlier before we started talking a lot of people have messaged you formerly very overfat people that are not much much leaner and telling you like yo bro shame fucking worked for me man I wouldn't have done shit unless like my uncle or my mom or my brother was like dude what the fuck are you doing with your life and of course maybe they could have said it more effectively but we can't say shame doesn't work and the Hayes people just want it to not be a thing they want shame to be off the table completely I wish it was that I fucking hate it you do too it's a fucking icky concept I'm never gonna shame anybody like when I have kids my wife's gonna do all the shaming I'm incapable of that shit <laughs> but like it may work, and it may work, and because obesity is so important, to do something about, maybe it has a context.
3: Yeah, it, it's a very tricky thing because I think it always comes back to how we want other people to behave, and and so there are certainly things that I experience in the world that I wish people behaved in a different way, and 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 then and then I go like, I don't recall having many. I, I mean, I definitely had some, but I. I felt a lot of shame when I was morbidly obese.
4: I will not dig into that in a future
3: podcast, yeah, I, I don't know where it came from. I can't point I mean, I definitely had people saying mean things to me, but I also felt so I, I don't know it's it's a it's a tricky one, but I do think that it isn't it isn't a tool to be completely disregarded, and I think anybody who's saying I will never shame anyone for anything is lying.
4: They're usually lying, yeah, or they're like straight up on like another Buddhist level or some shit
3: right. But yeah yeah but but you know if we're talking about this group there is active shame being utilized as oh, yeah. a tool by that
4: group oh yeah just apparently not for this one th- purpose right or got it okay don't go anywhere we'll be right back number two this one's real straight to the point Hayes likes to claim that weight and health are not causatively related, that the existence of an excessive amount of body fat on your frame doesn't actually make you any less healthy. Sometimes the sort of more nuanced folks from that community will say that the same unhealthy behaviors that make you fat also make you unhealthy, but the fat itself doesn't make you unhealthy. That's wrong. Though that is also true, that Unhealthy behaviors make you unhealthy regardless of whether or not you put on fat. The fat itself is an independent multiplicative input into that equation. So if you're skinny and you're eating like cheeseburgers all the time and doing nothing, your blood work might not be that great. If you're fat and eating cheeseburgers and doing nothing all the time, your blood work is going to be like doubly bad. Like it's not just an additive effect. It's a multiplicative effect, which is why when people present at over 600 pounds, they're not even candidates for surgery – Because they might not survive a procedure that you have to lose weight before they give you weight loss surgery, which is like if Hayes was really true and that like health doesn't matter, like why the fuck would they care how much you weigh? Like, well, you're perfectly healthy even though you weigh 800 pounds. Like that has actually never been a statement about anybody. Some people are lucky genetically or for the time being, they can be quote-unquote perfectly healthy at 250 pounds if they have a real big frame, 300 pounds, so on and so forth. But as you scale up, the probability of finding healthy people falls, uh, shameless plug, but on our YouTube channel at uh, Renaissance Purization, Dr. Spencer Nodolsky, who's like a board-certified obesity specialist, he actually has a, a multi-part YouTube series on the mechanisms of how being over fat is actually itself bad for your health. It's like a seven-part video series. There's a lot of ways. Insulin resistance, the physical forces on your joints moving around. You lived it. You know what I mean? I don't have to tell you that shit. No. Like if the weight comes off immediately, you're way healthier right away. Like liposuction to that extent is actually a health-promoting procedure because it literally removes this metabolic force in your body that is not a force for anything very healthy. So when they make that claim, they're absolutely at their worst, and I don't judge the whole movement by that claim, but fuck, it's a tough... Ro- That's the claim most people see when they introduce to haze for the first time, which is why most people, when they see haze for the first time, they're like, oh, yeah, this is fucking dumb as shit, and they're not entirely wrong.
3: Right. And And this, I think... The, 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 the only part of this I struggle with is I, I, I understand that. And, and I have no, it's not like I'm sitting here going, but this, for me, before my wife made me quit smoking cause she was pregnant, I knew cigarettes were unhealthy. I enjoyed smoking cigarettes. So my health wasn't a factor in me quitting smoking. Honestly, while she was pregnant, I didn't even really give a shit about the fact that I was about to have a baby and be a smoker and then potentially be smoking with him pro- you know listen this is many decades ago and so we thought differently not really but sure. it, it was huge well, like, anyway <laughs> I mean if you yeah if, you, if today you saw a parent holding a kid with a cigarette in their hand this would be a big problem 20 years ago not as big a problem but still a little bit of a problem the thing that really made me quit was my wife. When she became pregnant stuff smelled differently to her. And she was just like, that's a motherfucker. I can't do it. You're done smoking. Cause she wasn't going to smoke while she was pregnant. And it just suddenly was so such a bad smell. She made me quit. I've always kind of missed smoking. So I understand it's unhealthy. I, I see people smoking and I'm somewhat envious of them. It I, looks so fun. It really and so cool. I mean there's no part of it and now I see a guy with a nice big round belly and I just think I bet he had fun making that. 100%. You know. So this idea of health, yes, I understand that it's not healthy. I understand there's no metric where you can say being massively over fat and also healthy. These are these are not the same thing, but I I just I just go like there's so many things that we could say. Driving a car, you probably are at risk,
4: much more risk than walking. Totally. But we do it. But we also admit it. Right. And and that's where Hayes falls off. Right. Is if you ask someone, hey, does driving a race car increase your chance of death? They're going to be like, what? Yes. Yeah. But if we had a haze equivalent of race car driving, they'd be like, no, it's absolutely completely safe. And you'd be like, <laughs> right. okay. You don't have to say that it's safe. Yeah. We're not trying to ban race cars. Right. It's, it's dangerous, sometimes acceptable, but it's that kind of attitude that gets them into hot water. Yeah. probably should. Yeah. Okay, good. Fair point. Point number three, they eschew the scale- and try to do away with it as a part of a potentially useful arsenal of tools to tackle increasing health. So the sort of ultimate or penultimate example of this is if someone weighs, let's say, 400 pounds, you can tell them that it doesn't matter what they weigh and that it's just health behaviors that matter. And it's, as long as you're walking your dogs and eating broccoli, you're good to go. Like, yeah. You talk to any serious specialist in obesity medicine, and they're going to be like, you need to lose 220 pounds. And they could be like, do you, you mean engage in health behaviors? And they will be like, yeah, like, sure. As a way to lose 220 pounds, why would you take away such a huge weapon for health if health is really what you were looking at? If you take an honest assessment at 400 pounds and you started eating more, and let's say you just ate a lot more natural peanut butter, and a lot more steak. They're healthy foods, and you're eating really well, but you ate so much of them that you didn't lose any weight, but you're active now. You're actually healthier than you were at 400 four months ago, but if you really want an honest assessment, it's like, well, yeah, like you are actually eating a little bit too much natural nut butter and avocado or whatever, and then they could ask the next question of like, so how do you know that? Because you still weigh 400, motherfucker, and then the scale then becomes again very useful so again, we're not trying to like reify the scale. We're not trying to be like, okay, this is like magic. These numbers are either good or bad. It's going to be the paint your your journey towards infinite health. But it's kind of like, all right, I'm on a healthy habit and I still weigh 400 so, okay, that's, I'm doing good, but I could do a little bit better if I had a little bit less fat in my diet, just cause it's a super high calorie dense thing. And then you cut the fats a little bit and they check the scale two weeks later and they're down to 390, and they're like, fuck yeah, this is sweet. So the scale can be a really good tool. And a lot of the health at every size community and advocacy is really anti-scale. And it's like, look, the scale's not the bad thing. It's the relationship with it. That's the bad thing. Uh, I can't believe it. You and I have descended into shilling for tobacco industry, but you know, like cigarettes aren't quote unquote for adults. They're not bad. They're a trade off. Same as the scale. Like you can use the scale in a toxic way. If you harmonica smoke six packs of cigarettes back to back, I don't know what to tell you. You're probably not having that much fun anymore. And also like, you know, it's fucking really bad for you. But if like every three weeks you go to a party and you have like four cigarettes outdoors, like just like fucking vibing with people. That's fucking baller shit. It's great. Right. You know, it's totally worth the like one day of extra life you've cut off. You know what I mean? Like, so the scale, they like to throw it out completely, and I don't think it it needs to be in many cases.
3: I can't picture any part of my life in the way I live now not having it as a tool. Especially
4: cigarettes you mean or scales? <laughs> <Just kidding>. Both.
3: <laughs> Either one. That tool of a cigarette. I cannot fathom not having that tool it doesn't make you could do it without the
4: scale it'd be real tough a lot of mysteries maybe even more self-doubt
3: i mean look the reality is now i'm using it to plot a chart over the course of weeks and months and so you know i understand if you're getting on the scale if you're not changing your life and you're getting on the scale and you're just doubling your sense of worthlessness yeah, maybe try to change a different habit before you get on it
4: again. 100%.
3: But yeah, it doesn't make any sense to me to get rid of that. To to categorically
4: throw it away. Yeah. If the scale's bad, like, okay. It's just a thing. It's just a thing. Yeah. yeah. It's almost similar to the discussion of like, um, you know, like this is something you and I have talked about before, but I think a red herring for anarchists and libertarians, folks like you and I are more inclined towards liberty like I've seen people be like, you know, the militarization of police is really bad. I'm like, yes. but I think it's more important like what they do with their military. Like I'm inclined to believe that the police in Alabama circa 1955 were not at all militarized. They look like almost like uh, they were like barely armed versions of British cops today. They had like a baton and a hat. They Im- impacted a level of deep racial violence that's fucking sad. And tragic, like actually tragic, actually traumatizing, not like you step on a scale and you wait a lot.
3: Yeah. Many
4: lives They weren't fucking militarized, right? It's about what you do. Like, you can give me a police force of unarmed people, I'll turn them into brown shirts and fucking make hell for everyone. You can give me a fucking SWAT team, That sits in the clubhouse, lifts weights, and occasionally snipes a person who's holding a knife up to someone's throat, and that's all they do. You don't fucking you don't have to oppress society with a SWAT team, you know? So the same way is like the scale can be used to make you fucking miserable, or it can be used intelligently, or not at all. But to say categorically it's bad, it's like saying like, you know, like, oh, should we allow Cops in LA to have machine guns? Like, no, categorically no. Like, what if there's a guy with a machine gun shooting people? I want the fucking cops to have one, you know? Yeah. It's but people don't like mixed bags. They don't like the trade-offs. Yeah, fair point. All right. Point number four is, I suppose, more sociological and political. Point number five and six are even more, uh, even more political. So I hope you're ready for this. I'm shoot. ready. They're the ones making these claims, so i'm just I'm just trying to bad at them a little bit, Bad yeah. at them with the stick. So point number four is the claim that um, I'm gonna say this, and some folks listening are gonna be like, there's no way that claim is being made. Some of these get a little bit absurd, which is probably why they're wrong. Um, is the claim that people are fat or sick, uh, fat slash sick because of a lack of health care primarily or a lack of healthcare from attention or lack of attention from healthcare providers. This is a lot. I, I don't back. understand. Oh, oh yeah. Understand. Oh yes. So, uh, you'll say, Hey, I think, you know, a higher level of body fat makes you unhealthy. And the response for some, some Hayes folks is no, 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 no. Fat people are a discriminated class of people. And when they come see their doctors about typical health problems that would arise in anyone, the doctor's, defer to their weight as the sort of onus of what is being discussed and ignore the underlying health problems that, that could easily be remediated with various other things like more specific medications to them, uh, recommendations for food and lifestyle, things like that, orthopedic devices. And by doing that, that's why fatter people are less healthy is because there's this distraction of their body weight that takes medical attention away from the real problems causing their lack of health. Which is fucking totally wrong because number one, if you are overfat, the doctor has a good fucking point about you being overfat probably is contributing to all that shit that you came in for. Second of all, if you are considerably overfat and of low physical activity and older, uh, age 35 and 40 and above, you get into medical problems that older, active, healthy people don't see until their 70s. And that's the real problem. It's because of the overfatness. So, for example, someone could say, like, well, you know, my doctor's not treating my diabetes appropriately. He's just telling me to lose weight. You're like, first of all, they always apply medication bandages first, <laughs> uh, almost in every case. Sometimes you get like a real flagrant piece of shit doctor that's like, well, just lose weight and come back. But the- Almost never happens. So that's how you get like a massive of Like before they give
3: you insulin, they're just saying right. try losing weight. Which is almost I don't believe
4: never going to happen, yeah, right? Yeah, so yeah. first of all, it's, it's kind of bullshit to begin with. Like Maybe you go to Forrest Gump's doctor from 1950s or some shit like that where he's smoking in front of you. I don't know. Right. I don't but know he, where he's that happens. You've got an A1C of 15. <laughs> just lose weight. Fine. Yeah. Yeah, try this keto diet. Yeah. So first of all, it's not really clear that that happens a lot. And second of all, like most people who are not – because the claim is that the obesity isn't actually making the lack of health. It's that the discriminatory actions of medical professionals refusing to treat your real conditions that's causing this poor health. Well, people don't fucking show up with an A1C of 15 to the fucking office in their, when they're 45, which is unbelievably rare. And in people that are very, very overfat, it's fucking unbelievably common. Like, there's a fucking elef- elephant in the room, and it's the hyperadiposity that's causing all these problems. So that idea of like, and like, I know it took you a little while to understand what I am saying. Dude, the first time I read these claims, I was like, what is the actual claim being made here? That seems like a that like the mental gymnastics Bizarro to get world. to that position. Hundred percent, hundred percent. So again, Hayes has lots of good stuff. We've mentioned that earlier in this episode. As some of this stuff gets a little little wacky. I I yeah. I mean I, uh, I, I, at some point when I was
3: doing keto, a very dirty version of keto, if that's what a good word for it is my cholesterol skyrocketed and I was on the cusp of my, my doctor was like, listen, you got to come back here in two or three months and we're going to take this again. And you need to change the way you eat because you're ready at this point for statins. And here's all the side effects to statins a lot. And yeah. And it was like, Oh, I can continue doing what I'm doing and take statins or I can change. I was overweight at the time he wasn't saying just lose weight he was like change the way you eat and right. as a byproduct you'll lose weight and your cholesterol will go down
4: don't go anywhere we'll be right back most doctors i'm gonna say this as, as nice as i can because my uh, my wife is a doctor many of my friends are medical doctors most doctors have a bedside manner which borders on the machine-like. You've been to plenty of doctors. Sure. They're exactly the most compassionate people at all times. And they also don't really have any hidden agendas. They just want to fucking... The number one priority is that you don't drop dead right in front of them. And the number two priority is that you don't drop dead in the next proximate sort of amount of time. Right. They're very well taught. The medical establishment teaches triage and differential diagnosis real well so that they just want to get to... Two things. One, what is the most proximate thing we can do right now to make sure you're not going to spill over? So like if you have an underlying problem of blood pressure, they may try to get at that cause. But the first thing they'll do is be like, here, take this blood pressure medicine so you're not fucking currently dying right now as we speak. And then we can talk about deeper level stuff. Nowhere in that thread or unbelievably rarely is some kind of nefarious sociologically driven intent to try to get you like alter your external appearance. Doctor be like, you know, if you've got a nose job, you ugly piece of shit, that would really help your blood work. Like, they don't give a fuck how ugly you are. They don't care about you hardly at all. I know. It sucks to admit. But like – there's no like agenda where doctors want you to be fucking skinny. Like, dude, no, if <laughs> the doctors I've ever had were fucking fat, like, I'm the skinny guy compared to them. And like, it's just not a thing en masse. It's not like there's this conspiracy in the medical profession to be anti fat people and to trick them into losing weight purely for cosmetic reasons and sociological conformity in a way that's not even helping their, their health. Doctors only care about your health. And I'm not even trying to like, you know, give doctors the the old you know intellectual blowjob here. I'm almost using that as a good and bad thing. It's great because that's their job, and it's sort of not great. I don't really mean not great, but like they don't care for you as a human. They don't have any ulterior sociological goals. You're flying fuck if you're fat or skinny. They could give a flying fuck because as soon as their shift is over, they drive their BMW like over a homeless person or some shit. I'm doctor, right? Like they there's no underlying like. Well, you should really just try to get thin. Does that happen? Yes, it's rare. Has it happened in the past? More. 1970s doctor, I can believe it. Like, well, you know, Marjorie, all right. That shit just doesn't fucking really happen anymore much. It's so rare. I just don't understand why it has such preeminence in the conversation. It's shocking to me that it has any
3: place in the conversation. Also because I, I imagine most of the most common ailments that human beings get today could be addressed by losing weight.
4: Tons. It's a fucking panacea, man. Yeah. And for the doctor not to tell you to lose weight is absolutely a dereliction of his duty. Like, if I had a relative, well, I do. Uh, <laughs> so their thing is actually don't tell people to lose weight? Oh, hell yes, it is. Like, physically, that's what they advocate. As a metric for health? Oh, it's considered a, 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 maybe not even a microaggression. Definitely an aggression to tell people like you need to lose weight. Yeah. I did not know. Oh, yeah. No, it's a thing. Yeah. I would like for it to be a more moderated movement, but unfortunately, it's just not. Yeah. So a lot of extremes. All right. So there's that. Okay. The next one. Am I nervous about politics? You you should be. Okay. So there seems to be this uh, thing where folks with extreme opinions need to escalate the level of extremity so that people maybe pay attention to them more or maybe they can confer that they like this is a real serious problem there's been a trend in the last several years in this area of scholarship where the supposition has been proposed that fat phobia uh, which is itself an interesting term so i don't think anyone's really afraid of fat people or just whatever you whatever and there's certain there's certainly that thing in society where people think fat people are icky and gross that's, that's definitely a thing and it's it's itself gross there's a supposition that that is rooted in white supremacy and racism How's the connection? Well, there, you know, Ethan I'm glad you asked because that's where the explaining stops and the yelling usually starts. so is this on, real Mike Ethan, this is Hayes. this is a part of it, okay, oh yeah, oh yeah, oh boy, so um uh, there's a couple of points that there is some some arcs of validity. People of West African descent tend to um males of West African descent including most african-americans in the united states on open-ended questionnaires of preference for body type of their mates when they're heterosexual choose on average larger individuals so they you know in in plain talk they like them thicker which you know i'm saying i I feel is fucking a hundred thousand percent correct but that's not my job. My, you know, layer of, in my of, own preferences here.
3: One of my teenage kids called me thick, and I was like, what the hell does that mean? You little motherfucker. <laughs> what are you saying to me? I don't even understand it. But That was the first time yeah, I heard there you go. Uh, yeah. this, this yeah. thing, and I was like, what does this mean? And For she sure. was like, double peach emoji. Yeah. And this like I, again, okay. I
4: don't understand I don't what don't the know peach what reference
0: you're
4: saying. is. Yeah. <laughs> it's like the explanations get further away from the reality. Yeah. But yeah, so it's also probably true that – in a sort of a state where food availability is high, people of West African descent tend to get a little bit thicker, specifically females. The males is a more complex story.
3: No, I saw a National Geographic on this where women, either
4: as part of a dowry, would put on weight. Totally. Yeah, yeah. So, and that's not just typical of the West African cultural enclave. It's, it's actually there's a bunch of other cultures across the earth that do something like that. And, of course, there's other cultures in which thinness is really much more prioritized and prized. So in during the times of, let's say, after slavery, prior to civil rights reform in the 60s, there was an almost infinite amount of racial negativity hurled at black people in the United States, and um, racist cocksuckers will— And this is the misperception. The perception here is that they noticed that uh, black women specifically were heavier, and they used that somehow insidiously as, as a point to buttress the foundations of racism. That's not what happened. When you're a real racist asshole, you use anything and everything and even make shit up about why you hate someone, because you just fucking hate them. And you'll say whatever it takes, and sh- even shit that doesn't make any goddamn sense. Oh, take Jews, for example. There's like a fucking claim that Jews have like horns or whatever. What the fuck? Like what? Like, okay, yeah, Jews haven't all done excellent things throughout history. All the racial groups have done their good and bad. But fucking horns, this is just nonsense, right? <laughs> right? There's no validity to that whatsoever. So when people say like, well, you see – some racist people sort of brought attention to the fact that some black people were overfat and used over fatness to, to basically synonymize with blackness and be bad. It's like, yes, yeah, some of them did that, but if black people were purple, they would do that too. And if, if they were skinny, they'd be like those skinny motherfuckers. It doesn't matter because the hatred comes first and then everything else is layered on top of that. So it's just not a really good explanatory factor at all. When, a, a white person sees another white person that's fat and the first white person's skinny, they may very well be like, that's that piece of shit. And it's full of fucking hatred. And you could come up to him and be like, okay, well that's like racism. You'd be like, what? Right. <laughs> like, I don't think <laughs> well, like, you're... well, you learn to hate fat people with this thread of anti-blackness. They'd be like, what? And it's not that they're just ignorant of this process. It's just not a process. Newsflash. Anti-fat bigotry exists in fucking every culture, including black culture, by the way, because in black culture, there's a thick level that goes significantly higher than in, in Caucasian culture that's acceptable, quote-unquote, and attractive, but then there's levels above that where most black men will be like, that bitch is just straight-up fat, like, I don't know, <laughs> like, it's this thick, you left thick behind, and then there's a lot of vile, evil shit that's said there. It doesn't, there's no racial entanglement there, anti-fatness, as a behavior as a trend doesn't have its roots in anti-blackness. It just doesn't. It has completely independent roots. It just happens to be that shitty fucking asshole people who are fucking racist are also fat phobic a lot and just fucking pieces of shit, man. It's, so, like, you know, if it, it, people like they literally will say, like, fat phobia is rooted in racism. And the, I think the reason they say that is because... It's just an attempt to make fat phobia look as bad as possible. And what's worse than racism? Oh, like, can you know, only in casual conversation, nothing, right? it's the ultimate bad thing, which is fucking well-deserved Because racism is fucking vile. But like guys, fat phobia is bad. Even if it has no antecedents historically of racism, it has some intersections, some interactions, but that's just not a thing. Another couple of ways to disprove this. First of all, The vast majority of obese people in the United States are not black. They're fucking white. Go to Texas. Go to Louisiana. Holy fucking shit. Okay? (laughs) So so first of all, it doesn't make any goddamn sense. Like, second of all, how do Asians play into all this? I mean, Asians, if you go to Korea, the average American white girl to them looks like she's fucking putting down the fork, like, way too much. Like, damn, bitch. Like, and they're... In, in many Asian cultures, the Koreans, the Japanese, and just with all due respect, tons of respect for these cultures, they got some elements in there that are, man, they make our fat phobia look like a fucking walk in the park. Like, they make fun of little Their own kids will be a little thicker than average. Shame, guilt for years from your own fucking mom, your own grandma. All and that then shit. they have
3: sumo too in Japan.
4: Did harm that different context, right? Wow. But it's complicated. But the thing is, like, I mean, can you imagine, like, a Korean woman who's an immigrant to the United States, barely speaks English, looking at like a, like a like a like a like a thicker white girl, but like like thick but fit, and being like fat fucking cow in Korean, <laughs> and like in a social justice warrior just appearing and be like, um, that's really anti black racism rearing its ugly head. To be like, what? There's very good chance that woman's never seen a black person there's no need to entangle the two together. There's just not. Right. And there's no need to say that one is the genesis of the other. We can talk about two bad things at the same time and still say they have no relation fascism is fucking terrible. Communism is fucking terrible. We don't have to posit some kind of deep relationship or will it really one and the same? We don't have to say that. Two fucking things can be bad. Fat phobia is fucking awful in its most extreme, terrible forms. And racism is fucking awful. We don't have to make everything about fucking racism or fat phobia to buttress one or the other. Just, yeah. And it it confuses the fuck out of people. Like being mean to fat people is a fucking garbage move and it's fucking shitty and we should all fucking stop doing it. But when you tell them – when you tell people that, and they're like, uh uh-huh, uh uh-huh, and they're like – and it's because you're white supremacy and racism, they're going to be like, at best, I don't understand what you're saying.
0: Yeah, and at the, worst, I think
4: you're making things up. For me, this just makes it uh, a very hard thing to defend. <laughs> to take seriously even. Yeah. This is tough. It's, it's tough. It's no longer because you're like, what the
3: fuck are we it's talking no about? No longer the be all end all, Mike.
4: You're tearing it down very successfully. <laughs> it's, it's, really, yeah. it's rough. Yeah, it's good that we did the good stuff first. Yeah, because you know, most people would have clicked off and be like, this guy's just a piece of shit. He's hates just the shilling Haze for. Haze. Yeah, hundred percent. Right. No, if we did this yeah. first, this would be rough. Yeah, it would yeah. be real rough. So, okay, last one. Okay. Um, I'm nervous after that last. Revelation. Just that was the tip of the spear. That's as, um, as controversial okay, as good. it gets. I think. Okay, oh, actually, no. I don't know <laughs> this one. This next one's pretty controversial. So, so. There is a notion. So so Hayes is a movement that comes out of uh, what's called critical theory, uh-huh. and that is an intellectual movement that comes out of postmodernism. Mm-hmm. And postmodernism has a couple of core elements, and anti-capitalism is one of its core elements. I,
3: I want to say there are lots of really cool postmodern ideas Mm-hmm. And some really like Foucault had some awesome history books. Totally. Oh yeah. Uh Discipline and Punishment sure. is an amazing, amazing book. He did a book on mental illness, which sure. was really amazing. Oh yeah. I, I actually am a fan of a lot of the postmodern thoughts and ideas, specifically with the idea that most of what we're doing in life we're kind of making up
4: as we go. For sure. Cultural stories and stuff like that, 100%. Postmodernism, like anything else, unfortunately, postmodernism took a turn for where the sensical applicable stuff was tossed to the wayside. Sure. And the more insane stuff got crept to the top. Yeah. And some of the more insane things about postmodernism is an attempt to blame culture and specifically capitalism and profit-driven corporations for everything bad. So there's this notion that within the Hayes community and and more generally in critical theory – That um, the reason diet culture exists, there's a culture around dieting and dieting is good and being fat is bad, is because it's in the interest of the capitalist class, the corporate class, to try to get you to hate your fatness and lose weight because then you buy diet products. Like you buy diet industry stuff, like buy this pill, buy this exercise bike. If they could only – if you could just wake up and get woke and stop seeing that they're feeding you these lies, then you could stop buying all their stupid bullshit products and they don't want you to see that.
3: Yeah, my argument there right off the bat is that the medications that are being given to people who are overweight from the pharmaceutical company are probably making a much larger profit than... Well, see, they're also to
4: blame because the pharmaceutical company is fucking capitalist too. Well, but how how do you
3: you justify it? You want to go in and be treated for something and say it's not part of the fatness. It's it's this underlying condition. Treat me for this. That's mostly medicine. That's a bigger industry
4: than diet, I think. No, no, it's way bigger. So that's at least part of the problem. There are other parts of the problem. If you had pure for-profit interest and i can i can put on my my hat for pure for profit right now i'm sure you can too if we were designing a, a corporate structure a social structure even just one corporation that was only interested in profits why in the living fuck would we ever try to make people skinny Great. like fat people buy more food okay i mean listen
3: here you've opened a can of worms don't go anywhere we'll be right back I do think many and I do I, I don't actually know, but I do think a lot of a lot of diets that I've done present to me almost as the nefarious auto mechanic. Yeah. They really do. Sure. And they seem designed to fail. Yeah. And so I can I can kind of almost see a situation where it's this cyclical thing of like sure. I'm going to sell you this right now, and then you're going to fail, and I'm going to sell you something new. There's a doctor I don't want to make, and I don't know if he's a doctor of what, and I won't say his name because I believe Lane Norton got sued by him. I don't know. I I don't know know if that's out out of that. But there was a period in time where he was selling the fact that vegetables were poisonous Uh, and and (laughs) diets needed to be predominantly meat based. And then I think. It was not long after a documentary called Game Changers came out yeah, yeah. that suddenly there was the introduction of a vegan protein powder and suddenly sure. it was like, we need to move off animal products. Sure. And to me, I look at that and I go just like, this is this is the idea of capitalism that I am kind of nauseated by because sure. for me, I see a guy who's just trying to sell stuff. Sure. He's not really interested in
4: somebody sure. having success. Well, so here's the thing, and you're proving my point capitalists are not interested in this giant veil over your eyes of like this diet industry and your bad relationship with the body. And then you go back to food. They don't give a flying fuck. They just want to sell you shit that they think you might want to buy. Yeah. And it turns out, and here's the darker point I'm going to make. People do not need much of a push, if any at all, to consider the relationship with their bodies as negative.
3: Yeah. They don't
4: need much of a push to want to lose weight. The makeup industry doesn't make girls feel like shit about looking normal. Part of the maturation of teenage girls in every so far studied culture, once girls turn from 8 or 9 years old to 11, 12, 13, they begin to perseverate about their physical appearance. For a small, tiny fraction of them, this careens out of control into anorexia nervosa and ends very, very poorly in most cases. For a tiny fraction, however, a notable fraction. This occurs with males to some extent as well. And it occurs with body image, face image, everything. Are the makeup companies, are the dye companies, are they trying to make you feel less than? Maybe. Uh, Most of them aren't shallow enough to think marketing like that would work for long. Like how often do you fucking see a makeup ad that's like, you look like shit. With our makeup, you'd look better. (laughs) Like, Usually they're like, look at how much fun you could be having if you had our makeup and it's so convenient and cheap and blah, blah. Do they care? Do they want you to feel bad? No, but they know you fucking kind of do. And they're going to sell you what they think is a solution. And a lot of times it's a good faith solution. Most women wear makeup and they find it uncontroversial. They'd be like, well, you wear that to hide your real self. They'd be like, yeah, or accentuate my real self. And you're like, all right, fine. That's an easy way to put it. Like, why do you buy this protein powder from diet companies? Like, because I want to be a little bit more leaner and jacked. And they're like, yeah, but that's what they want you to be. Like, no, I agree with them. (laughs) Like, okay, if you've ever been, fuck, man, well, you're in Hollywood. This is easy. Hollywood is a good example. The music industry is another good one. Or my favorite, uh, the toy industry, children's toy industry. You know that dictating preferences to people is fucking impossible. How how many movies have they sunk in tons of money into the whole corporate machine, and they flopped? Do you remember what was that fucking movie, Waterworld? Yeah, Ethan, Waterworld was a three hundred fucking million dollar movie back when like reference to inflation that was like a trillion dollars. Yeah, that like shits on fucking Avatar by a frac like an order of magnitude or some shit. That movie made back like a tenth of the money or some shit like that. If they're soup, these capitalists and corporate you know, fat cats are so powerful. Can't they make us like it? I mean, apparently they make us want to lose weight. Apparently they make us want to put makeup on, but they can't make us like a fucking dumbass movie with Kevin Costner the last two and a half hours. Nope. Toys every year for Christmas. They get generations of. Do you know how much they think about the kind of toys they make? Do you know how much group research they do have kids play with prototypes and sometimes the kids like them and sometimes they just fucking don't. You can't shove toys down a kid's face. They just don't fucking like them and they don't play with them. That works at every level of marketing. Fuck, dude, I help run Renaissance Purization. I've personally designed almost every product we've ever sold. Half of my products land on their fucking face. We have, we spend a lot of money on advertising. Quote unquote convincing people to buy it doesn't fucking work. Yeah. Advertising is at best trying to like put your shit in as best of a light as possible. Brainwashing people is really fucking hard. The diet industry isn't trying to brainwash you. They're not that good. What they can do is tap into something that's already there inside you. And yes, they can abuse it, but it is not the genesis. Here's the point. The Hayes people think that anti-obesity attitudes are generated were generated whole cloth by the diet industry and capitalism to make you feel bad about how you're really supposed to look so it's not a reaction to
3: the fact that because i would think these two are actually moving in a a, a synchronized pace or, or one is following the other the fact that america is becoming more and more statistically obese that the diet industry is growing exponentially there's a bigger
4: problem to try to solve absolutely right that's it. The diet industry isn't causing obesity. Most obese people have never fucking dieted, or for long. Right. The people that are most involved in the diet industry are people like me that walk around with abs and veins. We're like, you know, whatever our fucking, you know, shitty, <laughs> shitty morality is for like wasting our lives being so vain. Fine, but like, you know, if you had to do a statistical regressive analysis to see what is it that's causing obesity. You're not going to find that it is the diet industry. The people that are the most obese and have the most intractable problems. They're as far from the diet industry as you'd ever fucking see. They're not drinking kale smoothies and having binges of food on the weekends. Their entire life is a fucking binge. There's no, like you take the average super fat person from Texas. You're like, it was it was hardcore dieting and fitness attempts that put you here. They'd be like, I'm what? Be like, that's just what led to this. Be like, no. Nope. Be like, so what led to your obesity? Be like, I don't know, food tastes fucking great and I don't give a flying fuck. And that's the politically incorrect explanation for the vast majority of obesity is tasty food is fucking amazing to eat. It can almost be sort of addictive-like and drug-like. And... Fitness, especially when you've gone down the path of obesity and inactivity for a long time, is fucking hard. You no longer identify with it. It's going to take your favorite foods away from you, and that fucking blows. And you just don't want to fucking do it. it, it it's, it's almost like this. Like, why are some people like um, really into drugs? I, I know it's super crazy, and this is something I don't tell you in uh, anti-drug education in school. I never heard it. Drugs feel fucking incredible to take. <laughs> I never tell you that. Like, there's no one. Like, I remember like the the idea of a drug pusher in school. where the fuck are they? I've never met a drug pusher in my entire life. They're always kind of hard to get. Like, you really gotta go out of your way. People don't just give out free heroin samples to kids. This shit is fucking expensive and there's nine times out of ten they don't become addicts anyway. The reason people are drawn to drugs is drugs feel fucking great and they make trade-offs and choices that they don't value other things as much and they go down really bad places. Same general pattern holds with obesity. It's not like, you know, the anti-drug movement didn't create tons of drug addicts It's because drugs feel good. Imagine if drugs didn't feel good and McGruff the crime dog's like, you shouldn't do drugs. And you're like, I'll show him. You go to the heroin den, you poke yourself, and you're like, oh, this like fucking shit. Right. He would never come back. Yeah. But because drugs have an underlying huge appeal, that's the vast majority of the reason why drugs are used and potentially problematic for some people. Just like tasty food is fucking great to eat and a super real talk – Fucking relaxing and sitting around feels fucking great, man. Can we just fucking be open about that? It feels fucking great to just sit down you have amazing food, it's super cheap, it's super tasty, there's infinite variety, and you have all the opportunities in the world to sit down because we don't have mechanized labor anymore, basically, of course there's going to be obesity. And it's not because the diet industry tricked you into some shit. Are they always there to help as best as possible? No, there's a lot of charlatans and pieces of shit. But there's some kind of conspiracy by which the diet industry caused obesity? Fuck no. Fuck no. For a tiny fraction of people, their journey into obesity began with terrible dieting experiences. But a lot of that also is correlative. Like, People say, like, I tried to lose weight my whole childhood, and then I became obese. Like, the reason you had to try to lose weight is because you had the genetics in your childhood to become obese anyway. You were probably going to become obese anyway. Now, of course, you found really poor ways of dealing with it. But that's a far cry from being like, the diet industry at a sociological level engineers obesity into our culture. That's bullshit. I, I, it just doesn't seem logical or possible. I guess it's possible if you really stretch their old imagination a lot. I don't fucking know, man. It beats me. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's, that's wild. This, the obesity
3: thing, crisis, whatever you want to call it, the, the state of obesity in America is impossible without, the amount of wealth that America has. Totally. Because if
4: you go to a poor country, there is no obesity yeah. crisis. They would love to be obese. It's just not in the cards for them. Yeah. Food costs a lot and they have physical jobs and, and all this other stuff. Obesity is predominantly caused by unbelievable, unbelievably cheap, easy to make, super delicious, infinite variety foods with a low physical activity output. Those are the fundamental underlying cause of obesity. There's other layers to that. And the fitness industry has some good and bad roles to play. But I would say the fitness industry roles and in, on average good, uh, maybe like a 60 40 60 percent of the fitness industry makes things better 40 percent makes it worse but yeah. that's a far cry from there's people in the Hayes community that literally legitimately think the the fitness industry the diet industry is maybe the genesis of obesity and if not the Genesis a huge Genesis node of obesity that's wild yeah it's it's oddly off the mark unfortunately
3: okay so Hayes I think,
4: Is like salt. You need a little bit. But don't eat a whole but, can of salt. Because you'll die. Sure. This this is, from haze. This is what we've discovered. Totally. So I have eight quick ways forward. Okay. And I'll rat them off quickly if that's okay. let them, yeah. and then, All right, sweet. So haze, we certainly heard some good stuff. Then we heard some- not so great stuff. Then we heard some insane shit. So <laughs> I didn't know about oh, yeah. the insane no, yeah. shit. So, it like, got this real is shit, like I wish I was making up, yeah. but I'm fucking not. And depending on who listens to this podcast, you could get a lot of flack for the shit I said. But I mean, if if that's really
3: a part of it, I, I just don't know enough about it. But if that's really a part of it, that's wild.
4: Yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah. So there's a lot there, right? So what do we do if we just want to intelligently, effectively, compassionately approach the problem potentially of Overfatness, fatness, obesity, and a lack of health. Well, here it is. I have eight points. Point number one, um, thinking positively and having an I can win and I can do this mentality is fucking better than, in most cases than thinking negatively. Like don't think of yourself like, oh my god, I'm a fat piece of shit. Maybe try thinking about like, hey, like I can get into fitness. Maybe I can do that. You know, like forget about the negative shit and just focus on the positive. Like when you train for boxing the first time, you don't think, oh my God, I suck at boxing. You think like, I'm going to try to learn boxing. Can you imagine showing up for like a Muay Thai class in like Austin, Texas or something with your hipster friends? And like your first thought is like, I blow at this. Like, what the fuck is wrong with you? We're doing this for fun. Right. <laughs> like you go to a salsa dancing class, like, oh man, I'm so bad at dancing. Like it's just not effective. You're not going to be good. You can be like, all right, two step. I'm going to learn two step. It's easy. It's just two fucking steps. Yeah. And then and then it's just, it's just really good to have that attitude. And you and I kind of know this, but we meet a lot of people that don't, and the folks listening to this podcast meet a ton of people that don't. So if you see someone negatively approaching these things, maybe try to give them a little bit of a boost. Like, hey, like, have you thought about looking at it from like, hey, like, maybe I can have a little victory here kind of mentality. Yeah. Point number two, it's a good idea for folks struggling with it to work on contextualizing the scale and using it properly. The beginning of that context can be no context at all, if need be, but towards the middle of someone's weight journey, they can start to implement the scale intelligently. And then eventually by the time that they're down at a weight that they consider sustainable and healthy for their level of trade off, they can have a completely perfectly healthy relationship with the scale. I think it's possible for most people. And the attitude of shut up and step on the fucking scale and suck it up stupid. Cause not everyone's there yet. And the attitude of throw the scale away or like smash it with a hammer. is also fucking stupid. So yeah, good with me so far. Oh yeah. All right. I'm in number three. Perhaps some mild, contextualized, fundamentally compassionate shaming uh, that opens up conversations is potentially effective at the margins uh, for behaviors uh, that are related to health. So, if someone is smoking ten cigarettes, you know, at the dining room table, maybe the other people in the room are like, mm, "You sure smoke a lot of cigarettes?" Right. And they could be like, "Look, guys, we've talked about this. I don't want to fucking have it. This is my trade-off." Then it's the last time you talk about it. But if that person's like, yeah, I know it's kind of bad, right? You're not gonna be like, no, there's no such thing as good and bad. You could be like, Yeah, it's kinda of gnarly, you know, like have you ever thought about quitting? And then and then it's a beautiful conversation that eventually leads them to quit, right? Yeah. So that we don't want to just throw shame away completely, but we definitely wanna sort of detoxify it to some extent. Yeah. That kindergarten or that second grade teacher example I gave earlier of shame of like Billy, we don't hit other people. She's she's on your side, but you know you did something wrong. Right. Shit like that. It's unpalatable, true. You and I don't like shame, but unpalatable things tend to work. Like, you know, the Nazis were defeated with fucking shitload of death and warfare. It fucking had to happen. Yeah. Number four, support and cheering for health and weight loss goals is a great thing. So people getting behind you and being supportive, and you being supportive of other people is fucking sweet. So instead of seeing a person on a magazine cover that is, like, fat and being, like, that piece of shit... Or, like, this is worse because you don't get to comment on magazine covers, but, like, someone on Instagram is, like, over fat and they post a picture of themselves, like, doing fitness. You know, like, the incel comments on Instagram are, like, some vile sometimes. Like, that bitch. Like, hey, hey guy, like, do you think you're helping her saying that? Like, I don't know. Like, like, I got it. You're entertaining yourself at the expense of another living, breathing human's emotions. Sweet. But I think, you know, we all have... Inclination sometimes to see a fat person be like, ugh. Like maybe we could say something positive. Be like, hey, like I see your fucking training. Go get it. Go fucking get it, girl. Get that shit. And all of a sudden they feel like they're welcomed into the fitness community. Like when I see – I make a point to do this and it now comes naturally to me. If I see very out of shape people in the gym – and, like, I look – I don't know how many people listening know what I look like, but more or less like a human tank or some shit like that. <laughs> yeah. uh, clearly, I belong in the gym. <laughs> I'm like a chameleon. I could just disappear into a squat rack and I just look like I belong there. Um, whenever I see people that are very out of shape and look like they don't um not familiar with the gym and they're kind of, like, using equipment, wide-eyed and kind of looking around, if I ever catch their eye, I always smile at them and, like, do a thumbs up or talk to them a little bit. Like, how are you doing? Like. Do you, you, do you like do you like this machine and like, i don't think i know how it works but like, oh no problem let me show you just make him feel welcome you know welcome the gym is for everybody and he thinks a fucking great thing to do like whether or not you think fat people are evil at their core or whatever or or you think that we should never you know bring attention to fatnesses just being nice is a fucking good thing yeah
3: and, and i think the uh, the other side of this is what i've seen a few times recently and why it even has been in my mind at all is seeing stuff like um adele or lizzo who Lizzo's my favorite. I love Lizzo. She's the fucking shit. I, I love Lizzo at any shit. You got to get her on the podcast. I'm trying. I'm trying. <laughs> I'm sure. She's
4: what, you know, she's There's a couple layers of agents between you and yeah, something like that. Right.
3: Lizzo is amazing. But my kid showed me that I think it was around Christmas. She did like a cleanse or something and took a bunch of shit from people. Yeah. And she was just like, "Fuck you," because she's Lizzo. <laughs> yeah, and that's she's great. Like, oh, fuck. But I just like to your point of like encourage people and be nice. Like, yeah. why would you? Sh- why would you shit in the same way that you're you're a dick if you say something nasty to somebody who's actively trying? The the same time, saying something because you don't think somebody should try seems yeah. equally as offensive. to Yeah,
4: me. totally. Like, yeah, we don't agree with cleanses or whatever. Like if she was for her and I were tight, she was like, I did a cleanse, I'd be like, Oh, word up, did it feel good? She'd be like, I don't know. Do you think it works? I'd be like, Yeah, I think there's other shit that works pretty well. Right. And then two years later, after that conversation, she'd be like, I can't believe I ever did that cleanse. I'd be like, Ah, you know what I'm saying, girl? I was I was with you the whole time. <laughs> yeah. We all do weird shit every now and yeah. again. It's not like, oh, you did a cleanse. You're fucking evil.
3: Yeah. No, but th- there were people who were like Idiot. anti because she's
4: uh pillar of self-love. Sure. Why are you trying to change yourself? Yeah. Like, why don't you get the fuck like out of my face? Yeah. Like, I could be anything I want. How right. about that? Dude, and that's a really good point. Adele that, lost weight. Took dude, flack for yeah. it. Yeah. Like what? Like if she lost weight and wrote a whole thing about it, like an article about like, I used to be fat and that's bad and I really apologize for it. I wasn't a role model to the younger generations. Skinny's the way to go. I did it with cocaine. <laughs> Signed Adele. Yeah. That's problem, right? But I'm pretty sure she just fucking lost some weight, and she was like, "Ta-da!" And she was happy with how she looked, and she took a picture. That's all she did. What the fuck is wrong with being fucking lean? There's at least as few things wrong with being leaner as there is with being fatter. Like if she gained some weight, like one, and that's what with Adele. How did it start? She was over, like overweight or whatever, and fucking pieces of shit were like, "I can't believe she's fat." Like. Yeah, is her job to be skinny or to sing with the fucking greatest voice of three generations combined? Like, right. I think it's the latter. Yeah. Also, I think you can buy and sell your house as a joke and make you homeless. Like yeah. your 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 fucking comment on like, Instagram is, is meaningless. Yeah, Like she doesn't have the time to comment on Instagram because everything she does that isn't recording artist involved wastes hundreds of thousands of dollars an hour or some yeah. shit. Like you've proven by commenting on Instagram that you're worthless compared to her, right? But. That's how it is. So more of that positivity and letting people just do their own thing, amazing. Point number five, if you're on a weight loss journey or a health journey, when you hit milestones, feel free to be proud of yourself because some of that, some of what Hayes says is be proud of yourself anyway, which is fucking baller shit, like respect. But also some of the Hayes people, like with the Lizzo doing a cleanse, like if you lost weight and talked about it, they'd be like, like why are you proud of that? It's like, I fucking did it. It's a good thing, I think, and I get to be proud of it. And and then there's the other psycho alt right side, which is like, if you lost from 275 to 250, and you're proud of it, they'd be like, "Fuck, are you proud of? You're still fat." Like, um, <laughs> what? Like, it's okay to fucking. And a lot of people think that in their heads. They have that alt-right side of them in their own heads and they don't allow themselves to bask in the pride. Like, I'm going to call you out on your own show right now. You're one of those people, man. You are in fucking ridiculous shape. You're fucking straight up abs. And during that whole photo shoot, you were looking at Jared and I, you're like, I don't know, does this look good? Are you guys sure? like... Bask, motherfucker. Bask. It's tough. It's tough. It's, 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 listen. But you know, you should be doing
3: it. I do. And I, and I work on it actively every day to try to feel that way. I think there's, um, there's definitely a mental game there. And it, and it's, and it's something I know to be true. And I totally agree with what you're saying. And I try to do that, but I don't always
4: feel it honestly. Yeah. I don't always feel it honestly. But, it's good to encourage in others and yeah. it's good. Like uh, Jared and I have uh, like friends that we lift with uh, and they're just our friends, friends and our coworkers at RP and they're like, like a third or half of our strength and size cause they're fucking oral people, but they look incredible and they've been making these crazy strides. And one of them will like PR on the squat and like, whatever, like we can overhead tricep extend that fine. But <laughs> he'll tell us and we're like, dude, Dougie, that's the fucking shit. And he will be like, cause he's Korean. Uh, he'd be like, no man, it's nothing. Like I'm, I'm a nobody we like, Dougie, what the fuck's wrong with you, bro? Like, you squat more than, like, you know, 85% of all the guys that will ever get in this journey. Your legs look incredible. You've been making these gains. We're legitimately proud of you. Like, yes, you don't squat as much. So who gives a fuck? We're proud of you, not us. Yeah. <laughs> like – when someone way more fit is proud of you for being a little bit more fit i think it puts it into context like when we tell you we think your arms are big that's got to hit you in some sort of way like you probably think like these guys are lying i think like you're lying hollywood shit let's it's, be honest but even, like but we're fucking not bro
3: well i will say there was a, something uh, i thought was funny on charlie's instagram recently a fun place that is oh it's the best <laughs> I, and and by the way i don't know how he takes shit from people about what he posts and you do too all the time about the food charlie claps back a little more than i he can. does it's fun i half the time i look at the food and i'm just like that looks fucking delicious yeah. charlie was posting sausages and bread and yeah, i yeah. was like oh my god I eat that sausages i haven't had sausages in a while yeah. how do i do this charlie is yeah, this yeah. real can right. i have this too and he's <laughs> yeah. like yes you can here's the brand. <laughs> but there was somebody who po- who said something like fucking rp just post unappetite Ap- appetizing food as an, yeah. like a number one and then another kid responded to that guy like well rps really helped me get lean yeah. and then the first kid yeah, said to I the second that. kid something like fuck you you can only squat 185 and i was like ah, i'm gonna go look at this
4: yeah i saw that. i
3: looked at both squats the lean kid who could only squat 185 and who knows if that's that's just what he had sure first that video day, right his squat was flawless yeah. his ass was quarter of an inch off the floor yep. his knees didn't move at all it was solid it was like the best squat i've ever seen practically and then he's taking shit because the other guy can squat more yep. meanwhile the other guy's squat looked like shit his knees Course. were all over the place sure. and he was shaky sure. it didn't get nearly as low as the other kids so i'm like fucking that kid's awesome yeah i remember you commented
4: you were like hey yeah. like your fucking squats good in my book dude yeah. his
3: squats way better than my yeah. squat
4: Yeah, and a ton of other people actually went on there and were like, hey, your squat's the shit. Your squat's fucking awesome. So I talk shit about a guy's squat, you fucking pussy. Why why, why is that the thing to call out? Yeah, it's just like, you know, like like toxic masculinity is wildly over-exaggerated, but it has enclaves of reality. Like- Men will make fun of each other for anything, bro, anything. Yeah. And it, usually the people that make most of the fun are the people that are, like, the lowest of the low of, like, they need that in their day to yeah. make fun of That's someone. how they get off. For sure, yeah. for sure. So definitely recognizing when you've hit a milestone, even if it's not the world record of everything, is a fucking good thing. It should be encouraged. Yeah. Um, number six – Moderate goals, maintenance phases. We have ten other podcasts you and I've done about that. Like, don't try to lose all your weight at once. If you find yourself in a position where you're like, okay, I'm significantly fat I need to change. Remember, take your time, take it slow, take it easy, do maintenance phases. There's no rush. Because some people have this moral imperative that when they find themselves in a position where they're like, I'm I'm overweight and over fat. I'm bad. I'm evil. I need to get the fuck out of here as soon as possible. It's a fucking journey. It's kind of like um, you know, if your plane crashes in like uh, the Himalayas or something, and you find yourself pretty okay, and there's like some supplies scattered, you don't go, oh my god, I'm at the top of the Himalayas and just start screaming, running down as fast as possible. You can slip on a piece of ice and fall a thousand feet and die. You look around the plane and see what supplies you can scavenge. And you say, okay, I'm going to walk like X number, a hundred feet. Then I'm going to set up this tent we had in the plane. I'm going to spend the night. Then I'm going to walk down another couple hundred feet, whatever. I'm going to sh- shoot some flares. There's a fucking plan. It's a fucking long journey. Um, a lot of people find themselves in that plane crash scenario where they're over fat and they're age 38. And they're like, I got to lose all this weight as fast as I can. And we all know where that goes. Fucking nowhere usually. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, point number seven, second to last, uh, Habits, 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 habits. And this is something Health at Every Size is very good about. Your habits get you into health. Your scale doesn't. Your scale is only an indicator, not the progenitor. You're eating better foods. You're getting more sleep. You're smoking fewer cigarettes, Ethan. God damn it. I (laughs) know. I need to I'm supposed to say yes on on the audio, but really no. Uh, But shit that you actually do makes the good stuff. It's not the watching that makes the good stuff. So – that's point number seven is a really good reminder. Like it's the habits. Like if you have gone from 240 pounds to 200 pounds and you maybe have another 30 pounds to lose for your frame, if your habits are great, you're well on your way. And if someone's like, yeah, but you still weigh 200, it's like, that's nice. You know, it's all about habits. A real good coach. If he knew you went from 240 to 200, wouldn't be like, well, I'm still at 200. That's bad. A real good coach. would Be like, what kind of habits are you working with? And if you tell them and you're like, wow, this is really awesome. So he easiest client ever. But if you if, you went from 240 to 200, and this is actually a situation I've been in many times. You have you inherit a client that went from 240 to 200, and they did it in the worst ways possible, starving themselves, shitty relationship with food, binging, blah, 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 over-exercising. If you have another client who went from 240 but just to 230, and they have great habits built up, one of those is going to be way easier to coach than the other. And it's not the person that's like, you would think a health coach would be like, oh, 200, this is easy, just 30 pounds more. 230, fuck, that's 60 pounds. No, hell no. It's all about habits. Because if you have a person that's lost weight with shitty habits, oh my God, you have a two-factor job. Factor number one is get better habits. Factor number two is get them shits restarted to get them to lose more weight because they might regain it for a while, rebuilding good habits. Habits are everything. And a lot of people focus too much on how much they weigh or what they look like right now and not enough on building deep habits. Yeah, I, um, I'm a big proponent of these yeah. things. Yeah. Um, and then um, number eight is kind of like the sort of the final cherry on top of what I would consider adulthood, true emotional adulthood, which is uh, do what you want, look how you want, be how you want, uh, do what's good for you and your well thought out long term goals, um, not for anyone else or anything else. Because a lot of times people get onto body composition journeys, um, relationships with their own appearance, with their own value, to try to like look like people on Instagram or YouTube or fashion magazines or just their friends. Like Casey has all the friends, and if I just look like Casey, I'd have all the friends too. Like Casey's gonna do. Casey, you got to do yourself. You're never going to be exactly like everyone else. Funny enough, Jared Feather was asked like what his, like what physique he wants to most look like in the pros. And he's like, what the fuck? Nobody like, I want to look like myself except better. Now Jared's genetics. I'd say that too, but he's like, I take inspiration from some physiques, but I'm not trying to model my physique on anyone. So like at the end of the day, if you're in a position where you're overfat and unhealthy, there's only one fucking reason to get healthy. It's you. If you want to do it, if you think it's worth the trade-offs, if you want to start nice and slow, fucking sweet. But if you are doing it for any other reason, somebody made you feel bad on the internet, that's not going to last. And it's also going to be pretty toxic. So. Yeah. This is
3: amazing. Dr. Mike, I feel like we've cleared up all of my questions about healthier, healthy at every size.
4: And it just means you have to get more questions next time. I next.
3: have to get more <laughs> questions. And I think it's uh, – a. I think it helped me have a point of view about this because I I really was struggling with it looking at that that picture and, and not not really understanding necessarily where the um the intention was behind sure. it. Like, what are it's, we doing
4: here? It's all very good intentions. Yeah. And that's the, that's the biggest feather in Health at Every Size and, and movements like that. Their cap is the intentions are all excellent. They're really just super fucking compassionate, sympathetic people that are just trying to fucking do good. And they've seen a lot of bad and they've seen a lot of fucking hate and they just don't want to fucking deal with that shit anymore. And I understand that 1000%. And a lot of the good points come from that. But good intentions don't always equal good outcomes or good pathways, processes, or good ways of understanding the world. And I think that first we have to get as close to the truth of what, what re, how things really are as possible, even if we are left at the end of the day holding our own smoking gun. Like, why are people fat? Because people fucking like to eat food and don't fucking like to exercise. Like, but I have the fat smoking gun in my own hand now. Well, like, no shit, but now you can put it down. Like, if you point out an evil capitalist executive as the one with the smoking gun – but you really have it in reality still this you're going to have to you're going to have to drop that idea sooner or later to have full effect because if you take if you make let's say we took health at every size the most extreme folks the most seriously possible and instantly made a moratorium on any diet culture advertisements period can you imagine that like a law that says fitness industry gone rp take apart your books disassemble you're not a company anymore lay Norton, gone out of a job gone everyone's illegal are we really to think that obesity will become better in the next five to ten years? I mean, if we don't I, – I mean, l- look, uh, it just seems like a very bleak idea. Very bleak I idea. Mean, so let's be realistic and say, look, there's toxic shit that the fitness industry does that we should do less and we should call out uh, in a compassionate way with uh, an emphasis on improving it. We should call it out. But there's also some shit we have to call out ourselves for, and some uh, admissions of why overfatness happens and what its health risks are. There are like so real quick. Uh, like, health at every size likes to say that you know you being really overfat isn't making you healthy. Ethan, who the fuck is that helping, man?
3: That's what I. That's what <laughs> I mean. At the end of the day, I don't understand. Yeah. I don't understand the intention behind that. It's to. I, I, be- I get. Yeah. I get the idea that the the sense that. Healthy and unhealthy have the 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 good bad connotation, right? And so, if we're going to say unhealthy is bad and healthy is good, and so if you're urging towards unhealthy or bad and this whole thing, and that's fine. I I I, I don't want that to be the case either because that I disagree with. Yeah, we should get rid of that because, like, I don't know what everybody's cholesterol panel looks like, and there's you know then we have the carnivores arguing that that's not even a marker for (laughs) healthy. Carnivore
4: versus vegan, right?
3: Fuck, we're we're all we're suffering with. I think we get fucking lost in context here too. Oh, yeah. I think it's good to to not f- shit on yourself yeah. to the point where you're, you can't take action. For sure. Just to make yourself feel good in the short term. Yeah. But to pretend that y- your state isn't the state that it is is yeah. also
4: not. It's a bad deal. I think the number one reason why that pretending is going on is there's so much hurt associated with- O- obesity and, and the sociological Im- Im- impacts and the deep personal psychology, you, you're just tired of you tired of being uh, kind of like a repository of society's evils. Like people look at you and you're fat and they're like, you fucking piece of shit, you lazy fuck, you fat fuck, you're the worst. And you feel like that long enough, you don't want to have anything bad associated with your weight at all. You want to cleanse that whole idea. So you will be susceptible to ideas such as Haze that – produce the notion that nothing is wrong with your fatness at all. And maybe you can hang out there for a while and clean it up a bit and come back to a more moderated view of like, yes, physically, it's not the healthiest thing, but also morally it's totally fine. I'm just fucking living my life, making trade-offs. And if I want to become healthier, I can do it.
3: Yeah. I think if you have somebody who's riddled with so much shame that they're, that they're not leaving their house because they're so, down about themselves that if you have to have that as the point of view in order to feel good about yourself to get out and do something and exist in the world then i'm all for it totally once you fall into the trap of like the only reason you felt bad about yourself was that society is racist then i'm lost again well yeah that's tough one to get out of that's a hard one for me to 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 comprehend and then also if getting out in the world becomes inspiring to you to change, but
4: you're now locked into this point of view that you shouldn't change. Right. That's a trick. That's a trap too, totally. I think. At the end of the day, there's times to see a lot of reality and times not to, Yeah. but outright illusions are probably not productive. So if you think about it from like a parent raising a child kind of perspective, like if a kid sees you do something that's only for adults, Probably a good thing to tell them is like, that, this is for adults and we'll talk about it later. A bad thing is to m- like make a whole mythology about what it is. Like, well, you see, it's really quite good, blah, blah, blah. Like, it's not good. I'm lying to my fucking kid, you know? Like, why would you layer in more illusions? I understand the truth being too stark and bright to see fully. So if someone's like, hey, like, is me being fat really bad for me? You could be like, don't worry about that right now. Yeah. Right? You could be like, don't worry about it. Let's just get you healthy habits. Don't you fucking worry about your weight. Don't worry about it at all. But you don't tell them like, nope, your weight's totally fine. I mean, god damn, you got to remove that layer later anyway. Yeah, Might as well not put
3: it up. Anecdotally, it really did happen that way for me. I felt like a piece of shit and had no, there was no inspiration to, I wanted as little to do with society as possible. I, I was reclusive, all of this stuff. The minute I felt good about myself, it wasn't very long before I suddenly was making decisions about the future that involved physical goals. Interesting. And so I can completely see that correlation of like, number one, let's feel good about ourselves. I'm all for it. But let's not do it through illusion. Right. That's not, you know. Because it's going to break sooner or later and then it's going to really fucking hurt. Yeah. Okay, Cool. Dr. Mike, thank you very
4: much. Ethan, always my pleasure.
3: And now for the Q&A.
2: This is a question from Todd. Hi, Todd. He says, I'm listening to the Setting Goals episode and it got me thinking. I'm 11.5 pounds away from my goal weight and people keep telling me now that I'm so close, it's harder to lose. What are Ethan's thoughts on that? I kind of think it's crap because how does my body know what my goal weight is and how close I am to it?
3: Fair point, Todd. I think that Your body has no idea what your goal weight is. That's number one. So I'm with you there. But I think that, and, and by the way, I don't know how much weight you've lost. Maybe you started off having to lose 12 pounds and you're now at 11. And so there should be absolutely no issue losing more weight. But if you've gone through massive weight loss, and I forget how that was defined, 50 or more pounds, right, Paige? I think so, yes. So- if you've gone through massive weight loss, the more and more weight you lose. And here's the, here's the deal. And this is another reason why I'm such a big advocate for maintenance periods is if you diet in a straight line, the longer you diet, the harder and more resistant to dieting your body will become. Your body, while on a diet, thinks it's starving the end result of starving is death. Your body is fighting against this. Your body has no idea that you have a goal weight and you're going to stop. I'm sure if it knew that, it would happily just get you to that goal weight like nothing was happening and then say, okay, can we chill out? Give me more food. But if you're doing it in a kind of a, a straight shot, the longer you remain on a diet, the harder the diet will become. Your body is literally going to fight against this state, this state of dieting. So yes, it can be harder. I Again, I don't know how much weight you've lost. I don't know if you've done maintenance periods. The maintenance period allows your body to recover from the stress of of withholding food. And then it thinks like, hey, we're okay. All the hormones chill out. Everything that's fighting against the diet is now back to the baseline. And if you've maintained, you haven't gained any fat. So then when you go to diet again, your body actually gives up the fat more easily. That's another like super solid reason to think about maintenance periods. If you've lost a hundred pounds and you have 11 to go, I would by all means, suggest hitting a maintenance period. The maintenance period is—you got to be as diligent as you are on your diet. It's still a part of that. You're you're learning what to eat to maintain your weight. It's it's a lot of work. Then when you go to lose the the next eleven pounds, it will be much easier. Or you just fucking do it, and that's great. You know, you you can certainly do it. Thank you for your question, Todd. If you have a question you would like me to answer on this program, please submit it to AmericanGlutton.net. Thanks for listening to this episode of American Glutton. I'm Ethan Suplee, and as always, joined by my chaperone, Paige Dorian. Follow us on Instagram at American Glutton Podcast. Sincerely.
2: Mom deserves better than a drugstore card.